welcome to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast. The only podcast that's fully print and play if you write it out yourself. I'm your host for tonight, Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jake Klopfenstein. Jake, how you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderfully. We did do odds on whether you'd actually finish the joke without, <laughs> without doing it, it on multiple <laughs> takes. Usually it's about three or four takes of me sitting here drinking tea. But you did it first take, Dave. That's great. professional that is us well you know what jake it's episode 40 not like i haven't had some practice once or twice at least four or five times for each one of the jokes it makes probably 200 200 (laughs) tries for each joke you did great man that's awesome episode 40 jake can you believe it wow we've been doing this for a while i mean we're what uh is is it what half a year or a year we've been doing this more than that uh year and and a quarter yeah year and a quarter because we started december 2018 that's great. Huge milestone. 10 episodes away from 50, too. That's wild. Very cool. Hopefully, we'll actually be able to play in person at some point before episode 50. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I, I did hear that some of my family, I have a larger set of cousins, and they all went up to the cabin this weekend, and I was like, I would have been invited to this had it been any other scenario and could have maybe hung out with some family, but still isolating. Um, I'm back from up north, though. Me and my wife hid at her family's place up in rural Wisconsin, didn't see a single school for about think a week and a half we didn't see a single other person besides us and my dog like we didn't even see somebody walking like we had we had i I was unsure if other humans existed i know i called you midway through that one and i just said hey just let you know the outside world's still here we're (laughs) the world's going on without you well and it was funny because i'd interacted with the computer but i was for a second i'd be like is this just a dream it was it was a very strange scenario (laughs) wouldn't wouldn't recommend it but let's talk about game a very realistic bot there it is so uh (laughs) let's talk about some uh games we usually don't do this, but I think we'd be remiss to not talk about some Kickstarters that are going on right now. There's some cool things that have launched. So I saw some numbers recently that board gaming is estimated to be up 600% right now. Now, I'm sure that's not in sales. I'm, that's probably in terms of people playing them, because what else are you going to do? With all of that in mind, boy, there's still there's been some big name Kickstarters that have kicked up in the last week. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about them. The first one that we've chatted lots and lots about is there's a whole bunch of new PAX games coming out. And if you've heard our coverage regarding PAX Premier, you know that uh, we're we're a fan of PAX games, just kind of in general. But in specific is where it gets weird. There's been a Kickstarter that's been announced for both PAX Renaissance 2 and PAX Viking. And (sighs) I don't know what to do about this one, Jake. I did end up backing PAX Renaissance 2. That was more so I could get in on the additional expansion pack for High Frontier 4, more so than (laughs) actually wanting the game. I don't know. What's your take on this? I, it's it's hard. So I am of Scandinavian descent, living in Minnesota. I mean, our, our football team's named the Vikings. So I should be very interested in the Viking theme, but I just, I, I don't care. I don't care whatsoever, you know? And maybe it's neat, but it's just, I, I haven't really looked into it. I'm interested in PAX Renaissance, but the thing that I like about PAX Renaissance is the box is so small. It's the same transhumanity, but the box for PAX the, the, the new edition, PAX Renaissance 2, it seems like a regular size box. I'm not really interested in that. So I don't know. I have it saved. I'll probably make a flash decision in, in like a month when this wraps up and decide whether or not I'm in a financial situation to throw money on something that probably isn't something I really need. Nine days, cowboy. Now, oh, gosh, nine days. Oh, it's so much sooner. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> nine days. Well, I did get, a, did get a check in the mail. I've been joking that's my stimulus check because it was a $20 I shouldn't even make this. It was just a funny joke. I got a $20 thing from a doctor's appointment. <laughs> and I, it was so funny. I've been parading it around the house. like it's my seamless check. Pax Viking was just a little too much of an unknown quantity for me to really get that excited about laying any money down on. Pax Renaissance, I've heard enough people exclaim their love for it that I figured this is something I did need. 
And um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm of mixed opinions on the big box versus small box. On one hand, yes, I would love it to be a small box like PAX Transhumanity. But I find that sometimes people take games more seriously if you pull out a big box that has a board in it versus just, hey, it's a little box of cards. Right. And then you sledgehammer them over the head with rules like Pax Trim Transhumanity. Right. Well, and then especially and, with the bigger rule book, you can actually look things up better. Maybe that's a benefit. Right. So I don't necessarily look at the big boxes being a horrible thing. I mean, we're already toting around a bunch of big boxes once one more. Right. And I'm, certainly the gameplay, at least that we're, we're assuming I played Pax renaissance twice but don't really have any opinions on it the larger box certainly reflects the larger gameplay so it won't be confusing people so yeah i'm unsure i don't know if i'm gonna back it i guess i'll have to decide nine days now not not a month but <laughs> i've been notifying me two days out so we'll see where i'm at with two weeks from now if i need it or not i did make an offer on a friend's copy of pax renaissance that they say they don't play very often the original edition so might just get that for a second but then maybe i'll be upset because the second edition is better i don't know i don't know what they did to it yeah so. yeah and there's also fomo around any of these real heavy games right i mean you may not find it again once it sells out right well and another one that we should probably talk about kickstarter wise that isn't even up here is are you backing Frosthaven? uh i am not so Frosthaven, for those that aren't aware is the sequel the full sequel not an expansion to gloomhaven it's another giant box, hundred adventure, you know, thousands of hours extravaganza like Gloomhaven was and has been met with a resounding approval, shall yeah. we say. How, I mean, how much is it at now? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it was five million the last time I looked or something like that. I am going to pass on that one. I, I, I sort of mentioned it in passing to uh, Mrs. Gaming Mogul and she, she kind of said, we're like five percent of our way through actual Gloomhaven can't see us needing that for years right well, and that's the <laughs> thing i couldn't is, disagree with her it'll come out and i think oh my god it's as time of recording which is there's day 18 of 31 now we're gonna see behind the scenes see how long it takes to edit an episode it is at 7.8 million dollars boy <laughs> yikes and i'm i'm sure this will break 10 million dollars by the time this is over it's that is just wild that's crazy yeah, so, I mean, concept, it's great. I'm sure maybe at some point, five years down the road, I'll pick up a copy because eh, Gloomhaven's generally available pretty easily right now. So I suspect this will be as well. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly passing on it. I just don't have a group of people that would be interested in it. So I'll, I've, yeah. I've, I still haven't played through regular Gloomhaven. So I'll just wait for that. Speaking of big box of stuff, uh, the other one that came out recently is Ankh, which is the uh, spiritual successor to Blood Rage. Oh, which we loved so much. <laughs> no, actually, we did, we did love Blood Rage. We didn't like, uh, what's the Rising Sun? Rising Sun, yeah. yeah. Well, actually, I've never played Blood Rage, and I don't think that's one for me. So I actually think you'd like Blood Rage. I think, it can safely, I think we can safely say Ankh is not one for me. Yeah, I, I'm done with the whole, we're, we're drowning. The ocean is full of plastic and garbage, and all these are just giant toys that are too expensive. It's just ugh, stupid. It's a waste. Yeah, and this one, this one too, like if it's anything like the previous games, is a whole bunch of plastic and garbage. And so Ankh Gods of Egypt right now, as of today's recording, is at $1,273,000 and designed by Eric Lang, also not my favorite designer. Yeah, I can 1,000% pass on this one. All right, now that we're done with uh, the, the Normie games, there are also a couple of new Kickstarters that are coming out soon that I'm actually pretty torn up about. First one being 1840, which is designed by Lonnie Orgler. It's Vienna. There's apparently it's a city-sized 18xx game. So I'm super weird about collecting all these 18xx games and making sure I have them because I have mad FOMO from not being able to buy them for about a year and a half. <laughs> that being said, I don't know if I'm going to back this one, dude. It's like $18, 18 euro in shipping. Mm. 
Yeah. On top of an expensive game, and I don't know, I didn't really like the way that 1824 was produced. I don't, I, I, the board looks great and the tiles are great, but everything else about it is just cheap and bad. I don't know. Yeah. And I've, I've seen the map for 1840 and, um, hmm, might need a little refinement. Yeah. That might be just a me thing. Apparently, some people on the internet actually really like that. So, unsure but I'll probably, I, didn't, I didn't think it was bad but it's certainly not going to be the most attractive 18x no game and especially with uh it seems like all board games is doing a great job with a whole bunch of new games so maybe i'll just wait and see what the next wave of games from him will be but speaking of games that i think we're actually gonna like there is the follow-up game to mini rails designed by mark garretts called mini express that should be coming to kickstarter pretty soon and from the description it is an 18xx style cube rail game so i think it's actually gonna have shares in this i wonder if it won't have shared dilution that like most or at least all the ones that i've played of uh cube rail games have so just one share is always worth 10 percent, no matter how many of them you have it's not like if you have one share and you're the only person that has a share you have 100 of the company you give 100 sure <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm hoping it'll be sweet and it's set in all of the united states so um, that Kickstarter should be sweet, should be coming out soon. I'm really excited, dude. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, that's something that um, it's funny. Like, I really enjoy those those newly produced cube rail games that have come out. I'm thinking of like Irish Gage and so forth. But for as much as I like them, boy, I sure don't seem to get to play them very often. See, it's funny because I'm the opposite. I seem to play them all the time. Like I've played Irish Gage, I think, like 15 times, which once, Jake, once. That's one wild. time. You should play with us more. I, I think there's a group of people. Well, I think it's because now the new division is like you are king of the Euro table. And then I run like weird train game table with like the other weirdos <laughs> at the game night. And uh, I guess uh, us weird yeah, train probably guys probably, play the, probably played that game a lot more than you. But it's a good game. I think your family would like it a lot, too. But I would say the Irish gauge box and tabletop simulator is excellent. So I certainly would be up for doing that sometime. All right, let's do it next time that I'm actually back in the cities. I have internet again, so I can uh, play some games online. All right, so that was some of the games we're going to buy, which is kind of fun. There's a lot of new stuff coming out. I think it's because we're about like six months away from Gen Con. I think that's usually uh, when yeah. every game gets like announced anyways or something. So we've gotten pretty discerning in the type of stuff we're getting interested in. So when those few things come out that do actually attract our attention and are, you know, maybe a little more esoteric, I guess, that's something we certainly will pay notice to. So we wanted to call out a few that are on our radar right now. Absolutely. So let's talk about what we played this week, man. You played a whole bunch of stuff. Oh my gosh. I did. (laughs) I've been busy, busier than you. Of course, I wasn't in the North Woods either. So last week we talked a little bit about gaming in this era of uh, quarantine and how are we going to keep our gaming habit fed as we're all stuck at home? And we talked about a few internet connected ways of doing this one, but I think we neglected the fact that there's a lot of companies doing some really interesting things in real life gaming with when you're with people that you can actually game with. And some companies have released an amazing amount of free content that allow you to continue gaming and, you know, give you a little boost in a time where maybe the economy is not so great and you're still gaming with your friends and whatnot. And like, for example, uh, Dungeons and Dragons has released an unbelievable amount of content, like a lot of the Adventurers League modules they've released for free. They've released coloring pages for kids. They've released mini books and kind of every day they're publishing something new. So if you're into Dungeons and Dragons, make sure and go to the D&D page and download the stuff they're offering up every day because they're they're really stepping up. It's great. That's awesome. One of the interesting ones that I ran across recently was by Arcane Wonders is a game called Air, Land and Sea by John Perry. This is a very tiny card game that uh, came out about a year ago, maybe, and like sold out pretty quick. It's been sort of hard to find. And I've heard a lot of people talk about this game, but never had a chance to try it because nobody in our group has it. Actually, they released a print and play of it, 
which is really awesome for them to do. And it's just, it's a really good looking print and play. Will a thousand percent make myself a copy of that? And we'll buy a copy of it for real after having a chance to play it because I got a chance to play this yesterday. Yeah, I've, I've heard nothing but good things pretty much unanimously across the board. What'd you think? It's a very interesting game. It's a uh, it's a head to head card battle game, kind of along the lines of Hanami Koji or Battle Line or Shot and Totten or something like that, where you're kind of each trying to control the side of a battle line. And in this case, rather than trying to woo geishas in Hanami Koji, you've got three theaters of war. You've got air, land and sea. Didn't see that coming, did you? No, not at all. <laughs> I'm blindsided. You've got a hand of cards that each have a power on them. And they all have a special either ongoing effect or instant effect when you play them. What's crazy about it is you get six cards and whoever controls two out of three theaters ultimately wins that round and gets a certain number of points. The first person to 12 points wins the game. Now, where this gets interesting is the fact that you really have only three options per turn. You can either play the card as it is into one of the three theaters and it has to match the theater of the card. So like if you have an air card, you got to play it in the air theater. So you can play that out and get whatever special ability it has. The second thing you can do is you can play a card flipped over. So any card flipped over is worth a two, whether it, you know, the cards are one through six, any card flipped over is a two. Okay. And so you can put that into any theater. It becomes a wild card. That's a little weaker, but you can put an off color card into a different theater by making it a wild card. The third thing you can do is you can withdraw, which is basically saying, Hey, I'm not going to win this conflict. I'm out. That sounds like just a straight up loss, but here's the thing. The amount of victory points the other person gets depends on when you withdraw. If you go all the way to the end and lose, the winner gets six points. Oh, that's not good. If you withdraw with like three cards left, the winner only gets four points. If you withdraw with four cards left, you only get three points and so forth. So the quicker you withdraw, the less points you get. So if you really get a bad hand, you just withdraw quick and deny their victory points and move to the next round. Interesting. Which is... A really interesting twist. Yeah. Well, it just seems like there's very few games that actually interact with just saying, you know what, you win. And it's fun that this is a a way to do it, right? I mean, it's 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 something that's definitely not in the zeitgeist of gamers, right? Yeah. And there's a few times you look at it and you just go, you know what? I only have two cards left. You have three. I don't think I can flip both of those over. So, yeah, you win. But (laughs) here's two points. We're going to 12. Right, right, right. right. (laughs) Again, it's about the war, not about the battle. Yes, exactly. So that was super interesting. The other interesting thing is this flip mechanism. Because most of the cards will say flip a card, like there's some cards out there that say flip a card in an adjacent theater. It doesn't say it has to be your adjacent theater. So, for example, you can flip that opponent's six over and turn it into a two hmm. and kind of torpedo them. That's helpful. Oh, so the thematic. Other, thematic. The other interesting twist, well, it is actually thematic because the, uh, the, <laughs> the card just says like infiltrate on it or something like that. Right. The other thing that it does, interesting, is all these instant effects that when you flip them, they they take place when you play the card or when you flip them face up. So you can actually kind of game your instant effects by flipping your own card over and then flipping it back to do it again. Oh, super cool. Yeah, for a game that really only is uh, 20, 25 cards, something like that, there was a lot of interesting play combinations in this one. And, you know, it plays out in about a half an hour and the rule teaches. Well, it just taught you the whole game. Awesome. Yeah, this has always been one that I've been interested in getting. Anna, my wife, is my main partner for two-player games so a lot of the games i select are based on her tastes and i did not think she would like a game with a war theme so i did not pick it up for her for us yeah probably no but it's sweet though i I really enjoyed it i've I've heard nothing but good things it's great to hear 
So this is one that uh, I will certainly add to my collection of small box games. Well, I'd love to play with you sometime. What would you give it as a mogul skill? Uh, I, this is a one B to me. Hey. It's, the rules are super simple. We're giving out more it's, ones. Yay. Look at us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just taught you the whole rules during the explanation here. The rules are really simple. We learned how to play it just out of the book on the fly. And it took less than three minutes. Oh, that's great. Awesome. And, um, Strategy wise, I think it's probably a B. It's not the deepest game in the world, but there's lots of interesting decisions for a 25 card game. Awesome. Yeah, no, I've 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 heard this game. People have said like it's maybe their game of the year and stuff for just being a quick little light filler for two player only. I shouldn't even call it a filler, but shorter game. That's just amazing. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to try it. I'm excited to see what you think. Yep. So that's Airland and Sea by John Perry, published by Arcane Wonders and Big thumbs up to Arcade Wonders for releasing a print and play version of this game. That was super cool. Absolutely. Also, Jake, I see you got a chance to play a card game with, I'm assuming, the misses. Yeah. So while we were up in Wisconsin in the Northwoods, uh, we brought three games. I bought PAX Transhumanity. If I was ever going to do something solo, I thought that'd be fun to learn more because I only played the game a couple of times. Don't really know it yet. And then I brought Innovation and Arboretum. But the first one I want to talk about is Innovation. Because I've only played this with you, I think, three times before this. Yeah, I'm surprised. I played, this is a game I've played dozens of times. Yeah, and I, I, I remember last time we talked about it was a couple episodes ago. We talked about how I thought it was really chaotic. And I think it's because when you played it three or four players, it is very chaotic. But we played it as a two-player game, which is how I've been kind of recommended. It's a lot of people's favorite way to play it. And oh my God, it's such a good two-player game. It's super tight on the, like, what are you going to give up? Because whatever you directly, like, put back, your partner, your opponent can directly take it. So like if you're ever going to like discard a two or something and you know they have 10 points, you, that that option's no longer a viable option, which I guess is still the same thing in a three-player game. But if the person next after you doesn't have enough points, maybe they're going to take that card or something. Like you can push the onus on not having them score it away. But it's so direct with that. And it was really fun. So we played it, I think, three times. She won once. She absolutely demolished me. And then I beat her one of the times. And the final time was super tight, really close. We were pushing and pulling. And uh, um, I think she ended up squeaking away at the victory. But she really liked it. She was originally very confused about it because a lot of the rules are on the card. <laughs> it's unusual. yeah. And it wasn't similar to a lot of other games she's played. So she kept on not really having a shared knowledge pool to rest her, her game knowledge on. But she learned it really quickly and really liked it. So I think it's be something we're going to play a lot now. And it, it's just really cool. I didn't quite also realize how thematic it was before, too. I mean, let me rephrase that. It's it's fun looking down at the cards and saying, oh, I have like paper and trying to think like what a printing press is supposed to do to move the things forward. You know, like the Industrial Revolution card, I think it was like steam locomotion or something. Can't remember. Would like churn through cards, you know, like using up your resources in oh, your past. Yeah, totally. And pushing forward of like their modernization, which was which was really cool. So um, really fun game. One weird thing, though, is chatting about it online with a friend, and they wanted me to compare it to Glory to Rome. Have we ever compared these two games? Because I could not find much to compare them, really. No, I don't know that we've ever directly compared to them. And hmm, other than the fact that they both use multi-use cards. See, but they're not even multi-use cards. I, no, no, they're, you're they're right. They are, multiple they? decks, and they are scoring. They like you, you, you take them as scoring, and you have them as points. So I guess you can put them back and use them as the other things. But like you're not really using them as points or like a scoring thing. Like I would never say the cards in Oh My Goods are multi-use cards. Sure. Or sure. like Race for the Galaxy, pardon me. Use use the cards as goods. Like you don't think of those as multi-use cards. They're just, they're out there as goods, you know? So I don't know. They certainly have weird powers, which is probably the best comparison is you're just, you're really trying to get the best power combination to be able to win. But 
yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't quite think of an interesting way to compare them because a lot of people thought they were similar. And to me, I don't think they're very similar at all. No, I don't. I don't think they're that similar either. I mean, the, the other thing I love about innovation is the fact that every card in that deck is unique. Right. And, you know, you don't have to sit through, oh, it's that card again, mm-hmm. which you do in Glory to Rome, because there are multiple copies of each card in Glory to Rome. Right. So anyway, I'm a big fan of innovation. Thankful that you pushed me to learn it. And I'm thankful to a friend who was selling it um, for pretty reasonable because I picked it up for like next to nothing. And it's a new good go to game for my wife and I. So that's innovation by Carl Chedek. Big fans. Yeah, this is a game that uh, I've talked to a bunch of people, and it's funny the people that, like, this is their favorite game. People I never thought would like this game at all that have just played the crap out of it since then. So that's fun. You never know who this one's going to stick with. So speaking of uh, games with cards and powers, I saw you got to play an Uva Rosenberg game that is one of my favorites. What was it? We did Wednesday night on our virtual online game night. It was, you know, it was a pure Euro crowd that night. So I decided (laughs) that I was going to run a table of Euros. Weird. And that I was going to run a heavier table of Euros because the other table was going to play Wingspan or something super light. Actually, I think they were playing Viticulture. Gotcha. I ended up running La Havre by Uwe Rosenberg in Mayfair Games. This game is a desert island game of mine. Always will be. It it was in my top five last year of favorite games. La Havre is a game where you're trying to, it's a resource conversion game, really, where you're trying to get enough resource to build buildings and then use those buildings to generate more resources, which you can then turn into points at the end of the game and so forth. And that really undersells what this game is. It's a very, very tight game where it's really difficult to do well and it's really difficult to win because there's a lot of different paths and there's a lot of false paths. Yeah, and and, and you can't just dabble in a path because the real tightness is the amount of actions that you have, right? Yes. Yeah. It's very easy to do a lot of stuff and you can play this game. And you're like, I'm doing really well. I got a whole bunch of buildings and I'm getting a lot of resources and I'm able to feed my people at the end of every round. And then somebody literally scores double the points that you did at the end of the game. Right. I mean, that's like, a wow. that's a somewhat common love experience. Yeah, no. And, and I'm actually really bummed I missed this one because this is probably on my short list of games that I still have enough knowledge on that we should play sometime soon before that knowledge fades away and I'm coming in new again. Strategy. Well, and it's one that. There's a lot of ground to explore in this one. Oh, correct. Yeah. Anyway, we uh, we we ran the TTS mod on it, which is generally good. Like there's a good scripted setup. The problem is, is physics kind of failed it and (laughs) physics failed it in that one thing. Tabletop simulator does not do well is splaying cards. Okay. because if you if you get them too close to each other, it thinks you should stack them and tries stacking them. Yet, if you have them too far apart, they don't splay. And. Somebody made the decision to have like a 3D raised board, <laughs> right? So the auto setup goes and splay. What, what you do in the setup of Lahab is you have a splayed set of building cards and they're splayed so that you can see what buildings are coming up in the future, even though you can really only build the top one on the pile. The problem was the auto setup went in and picked out, made the three decks, splayed them out, put them where they're supposed to be. And then half the cards tipped off the edge of the board. Oh, that's stupid. <laughs> Like, and normally like that would happen in real life too, right? I mean, if you had a raised board and you put half a splayed deck of cards on it, uh, half of them are going to tip off the edge. Right. The problem is, is that you have the weird little digital thing where if it tips off the edge, now suddenly the game thinks it's underneath the board. That's stupid. That's a bummer. Well, it's it's just weird. I mean, that that, that I guess it's the point of most TTS mods are great, but like use them. (laughs) There's a lot of Lahav ones, right? And so you have to make sure you're playing the good one versus the bad ones. We solved it just by stacking the cards. And then if you wanted to see what cards were coming up, you just like search the stack. 
and you can see what cards are coming up and problem solved. So, yeah, but I, I don't know. Maybe some TTS users, power users can tell us if there's a way to splay cards, which is where for people who don't know if you like you can just see a certain portion of the upcoming cards. Right. So if it's just if it's like a, de- a pile of cards where you just see the top or something of each one. They're like card. fanned. Yeah, fanned. Perfect. If there's a good way to sure. do that, because I mean, innovation, we just talked about it, that game relies on a splay, which is super easy to do. And it's a cool thing to do with cards. But if you can't do it on TTS, you know, it's gonna be a lot harder to do. Right. Yeah, it would be nice if that was just an action where you could just right click on a deck of cards and click splay. Splay. <laughs> just rup, put them out. That would be awesome. Yeah. Well, it's great that you guys got to play it, though. But to your point, for this game, I feel I actually did an excellent job of really focusing a strategy rather than just picking a target of opportunity every round. Because typically how I'd play before is I would just, oh, hey, there's 19 fish. I'll just grab all the fish because, wow, there's 19 of them, (laughs) whether I needed fish or not. Or, hey, I've got enough to build that one building and it's worth some points. I'll, I'll just do that thing. So rather than just grabbing whatever I could grab, I made a point of grabbing specific things to execute a specific strategy. And... I rocked everybody. That's it was great. great. Yeah, that's my <laughs> issue in a lot of these games, too. I do everything because I want to be opportunistic. And no, you must focus, 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 yep. focus. Do not. Oh, I'm so bad at that. Me too. Um, so my 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 uh, route to victory this time was I bought the coilery, which allows you to get a bunch of coal. Basically, you can take full four coal if you do that building. And then I also bought the cokery, which allows you to turn three franc coal into five franc value coke, which also has 10 energy. Nice. And about three quarters of the way through the game, one of the other players, uh, our friend Ira, says, mm, what are you doing with all that Coke over there, Mark? Because <laughs> I had a really big stack of Coke your, building up. Your, your pinky nails were very, very, very long. Yes. <laughs> Not that kind of Coke. As it turns out, you can make money by shipping Coke. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> this is the, uh, yeah, this is the uh, the carbon version of it. What I did is I shipped off all of the, uh, all, all of the Coke in the last round, which was shipped like 40 francs worth of coke which is uh, you know franc is a victory point so I, I basically just shot up 40 victory points in the last turn by this just massive filling all my ships and having all the fuel to fuel them and getting a huge pile of money all in one turn awesome well it's great I'm, I, I love this game i'm bummed that i had to miss out because my, my my company would not let me install tabletop simulator on my work computer which was a fair thing i just wasn't going to lug my desktop up to the Northwoods. yeah you're not wrong there so Anyway, uh, Lahav by Uwe Rosenberg and Mayfair Games, uh, still on my desert island list. Nothing changes. Awesome. <laughs> it was great. Speaking of tabletop simulator games with cards, we actually got to play Stick Elm together two weeks ago when I was actually back in society again, and uh, it was a really fun time. So why don't you tell us about Stick Elm there, Mark? <laughs> uh, Stick Elm, the reason we're talking about this a lot is it's actually getting published in the U.S. finally as Stick'em by Capstone Games here in the U.S. The older version was by Amigo that was available in Germany only, I believe. And uh, this is a kind of an almost a reverse trick-taking game where... <laughs> Everything is Trump and you sort of don't want to take any cards that are in your pain suit. It was at the end of our Wednesday night game night and everybody that was at multiple tables joined back together in one player. So we needed something that was a quick teach and could be played in a bunch of people kind of late at late at night in the game when we've all been playing something else. And uh, Stick Elm came out and I don't know if it was the right choice. I'll be candid because uh, interesting. How come? This game breaks my brain, right? We've already said that. For some weird reason, I just can't process that, like, you don't want to take tricks, especially <laughs> okay, if you're paying color. <laughs> and so we're sitting here, and I was playing actually pretty well. I was doing okay. I'd taken a decent amount of tricks. I wasn't wasn't negative. And then all of a sudden, I said, okay, cool. There's a great opportunity for me to be able to play a pain card. And I take a trick with a 14 in my own pain color. 
for some <laughs> stupid reason. I just wasn't even thinking. I had like 12 cards in my stack and I just wasn't thinking. There was a million other options I could have done and it was just so stupid. And I don't <laughs> well, know why, I, but this game just breaks me. I can't internalize it. At least from my own personal enjoyment, Jake, I'm glad you did that because like I, I laughed so hard. I was actually worried about having woken up my entire family with belly laughing. Just so, it was, that was epic. It was so <laughs> dumb. I mean, excluding that card alone, I would have been in second place. Just that card. Not excluding <laughs> the other points I would have taken from like actually being able to take a trick with it. Like, oh my God, it was so stupid. But yeah, this game's really fun. The TTS box is awesome um it's a really fast game to teach it's really easy to teach on tabletop simulator because you can just say what the cards are they're kind of fanned out at the beginning so yeah would really recommend this game it was amazing when you did when you made that play and took that one all of a sudden uncle kirk says hey jake isn't red your pain suit well most probably people that already (laughs) grabbed the cards like i probably would have asked for a mulligan any other circumstance um but for some weird reason i just like had been like you know what this is exactly what i need to do grab grab lead and it was just so dumb I was so worried about pricking everybody else. I worried about not sitting out on my own pricks. So stupid play. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to just keep on playing this game to see if I can actually internalize the rules because I just can't right now. So, yeah, it's definitely one that uh, requires you to rethink how you play trick taking games. So before we played Stick Elm that night, the table that I was at played Raiders of the North Sea by Shem Phillips and Garpill Games. Of course, Shem Phillips of the of the series of games. <laughs> uh, Raiders of the North Sea was the kind of this first big splash in that series that um, it, it basically puts an interesting twist on worker placement where you put a worker down and you do the action, then you pick another one up and do that action. And that by itself is really fun to do. Game concepts pretty easy. You build up resources in town. Then you sail across the ocean and you raid places and then you build resources back up so you can go raiding again. And the game is done uh, approximately 90, you know, an hour to 90 minutes later when you've raided five of the six locations at the top of the board. There's multiple ways to score points with this one. Every time you raid, you score points depending on how strong you are. You can also get points if you're really armored up. And you can also get points because you had a lot of people die because, you know, they're Vikings, right? Going to Valhalla is a good thing when you're a Viking. So, Jake, did you hear what I just said there about earning points on the armor and Valkyrie tracks? My guess is you didn't do that. And usually that does not work. I might have neglected that to my own detriment. (laughs) Yeah, this is one of those games where you do need to focus, but the armor and the Valkyrie tracks are both evidence of you doing other things well. So the armor helps you raid and the Valkyrie is showing that you're raiding, which you need to do in this game. So my guess is you lost by a lot. No, I didn't. Actually, it was a very tight game between uh, there was four of us playing and three of us were in were within about five points of each other, kind of near the top of the victory point track. And. I was raiding hard, right? And I was raiding fast and hard, and I was grabbing all the places that had gold in it and not Valkyries. Yep. So I moved up the track really fast and raided hard, but I didn't put a lot of effort into upscaling my armor so that I would get the eight victory points instead of the five victory points. Right. I was just taking the five and raiding the good spots quick and just trying to end the game quick before anybody could build up to the tracks on the top, and I was not successful. Phil maxed out both tracks and ended up squeaking in for the win. Gotcha. That sounds like Phil. Well, I'm happy you guys played it because it's a good game. How was the um, TTS box, the, uh, the, 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 the workshop for it? Uh, it was excellent, actually. The art and the execution and the snapping was very, very good. The scripting was excellent. Really, you just put in the number of players and it actually just went and put out <laughs> all of the resources and all of the correct pieces where they're supposed to go, which is, you know, a non-zero amount of time in setting up that game. The only slight knock is that um, you have stacks of wooden tokens on victory point spaces. And 
like if you're the bottom person on that stack and you want to move your piece forward three, you got to move everybody else's stuff off of yours. I mean, you have to do that in real life. It's just fumblier in TTS. Right. There should be a way for you to just like knock yourself up one or something like plus one on a track. But yeah, we, we had that same yeah. issue in the couple of games we played. So that was the only knock on it. Other than that, it was uh, it, it was really, really well implemented and would strongly recommend it. We were just playing the vanilla version. No expansions. Gotcha. All right. Well, that's Raiders of the North Sea by Shem Phillips and Garpill Games. Um, actually, I think it's by Renegade Games now. I think they picked it up. So very, very, very solid, lightish midweight euro. While you were playing that, we played uh, Yokohama, which I have nothing really new to add. It was fun. I ended up not winning, but I got a close second place, I think is how it ended up happening. Kirk ended up squeaking out the victory. No, it wasn't even close. I got a very close second place. I beat third place barely. So Yokohama is one of those games that has one of those tracks where you can like score certain things for having certain stuff at a certain point in time. It's very vague, but if you played Yokohama, you'll know. And if only one person does that and nobody else does, they're going to win because they're going to score 30 points and nobody else is scoring any points. And that was the case in our game. I think Kirk scored all three of them and we just didn't focus enough to do that. And Kirk ended up winning for by about 30 points, exactly what you'd think. So, ouch. yeah, it's great. (laughs) The tabletop simulator mod was good for setting up, but um, it was not very good for um, the lighting. I didn't know you could actually change the lighting in the tabletop simulator mod, which I had to learn because it was all washed out. You could hardly even play, but worked out great, fun playing. But the one that I did love playing was we played Keyflower, which had an amazing tabletop simulator mod and really recommend that one. I actually think it was better to play Keyflower this way than it was any other way. So I actually might teach you with it because everything snapped well. It auto deals out everything. Um, there's a lot of random draws in it. That's perfect. There's a sorting bag. So you just take everything and put it away and it'll sort perfectly. Amazing. Keyflower was super fun. And the people that actually ended up playing with it played it with their parents who live super far away. So really cool that tabletop simulator is allowing people to play games together or across the continent. So. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's that's one I need to learn soon, Jake. I still have never played that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's still one of my favorite games. I'm just really jonesing for it right now. It's just a really, really good, strong Euro-y, auction-y game. I think you're going to love it. So that is Keyflower. Fantastic. Games we did actually get to play together. I don't know if I played this game. I was I was in it, but I was not winning. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> that's, that's one way of looking at it, Jake. We're talking about 1848 from Lonnie Orgler, which we've talked about a couple times recently. 1848 is set in Australia. It's an 18xx game that uh, features a couple of interesting MacGuffins. Jake, why don't you tell us about them? So the first one that's most interesting is they have different gauges at different points depending on the territory. So I think actually historically that was a thing in Australia is my assumption. I don't know if they just put it in. They're like different. We call them time zones, but they're different like regions that have different gauges. So if you ever go from a spot to another, it takes up one of your stops on your train. So if it's a five train, you can only get four things now and a gauge. But there's certain trains that you can have that'll actually make it so you can hit these gauges without having it be an issue. I envision them having like movable wheels. Yeah. So you you switch trains and you scoot your wheels in so it fits the different gauge. Right. And so it takes up takes up a station stop. The one thing that's also really cool about it is it has a national bank and a really cool loan mechanism. You can't um, emergency finance any other way other than through loans in this game that are both required if you need a train and also optional if you don't need a train. So you can just take loans one per round for extra money. Whenever you do this, all it does is hurt the company's stock value. You just go back to the left two or three spots, depending on how many loans you're taking in a turn. And then this also reflects in the stock value of the national bank, which is a special separate bank. I don't know if you notice this, Mark, but if you play in person, you have to set aside a certain amount of money that's not necessarily in circulation 
or not, depending on whether people take loans. I have seen that in the rules, but I've never played this one in person. Right. And so it actually ends up working really cool because if you take a lot of loans, maybe the game will be longer because there's like 2000 more dollars in the game than you probably thought there would be. But maybe it'd go faster. So it's it's super cool. But the cool thing is every loan that takes increases the share value of this national bank that pays out a certain fixed amount that we're not going to explain on the podcast, depending on uh, what phase you're in and whether or not companies have died. But it's really cool. I think to win, you have to be a part of the National Bank. Would you agree, Mark? Oh, yeah, clearly. And that was um, last. So I've played this now twice. First game. Oh, can we talk about the first game for a long, long time? Because the, the second <laughs> game does not reflect well on me. The first game was one of my star star best achievements in an 18xx game. Yeah. So let's uh, let, let's talk. The first game, Jake won. I, I'm sure you probably oh, sussed that out so by good. his in- oh. exuberant <laughs> uh, opinions on this first play. And I thought I was going to win, and I was winning till the very last round, and Jake managed to pit me at the line, largely due to the fact of his extensive investments in the Australian National Bank. Well, and on top of that, too, there is a very punishing emergency finance thing here. If the company ever goes into receivership, which is the furthest left column on the stock value, so every time you take a loan, you have to go back to the left, either two or three spots, you may go back like 15 spots if you're just like really need to take a lot of loans in this game. Which means that no matter where you're on the board, if you can have somebody be trainless, you can completely gut them. So I ended up uh, leaving a trainless company in someone else's hands, took them out of the game. And then I had a lot of shares of this company that was not worth a lot, but was running for so much because it had a whole bunch of trains. Yeah. Whereas I had the flip side of that one. I had uh, the company was worth an amazing amount, but wasn't running for a ton. And, you know, you just you had longer legs at the end than I did. Yeah, that was great. But yeah, I tried to not invest in the National Bank this game. And the first time we played, I was heavily invested in the National Bank. So no one was taking loans beside me, which I thought was lame. But this time it seemed like more people were taking <laughs> loans and more people were invested in it. It worked out a little better. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I made a point of being part of the National Bank game this time around. And the other thing that you did in the first game that I needed to get to the part of was the gun. How good is gun. how good are those trains? They're so good. So uh, they're special. It's a two-y that it, it's a special two E that unlocks at the end of the game that only runs no, one route. It's not a, it's not the land. It's like right in the middle. It's at the five. It's at like the five train. Yeah, boy, you make a lot of money on that dumb thing. So well, I, think I jumped in on that right away and count against your train limit, too. Right. I'm firing from the hip here, so it may, but it does not. Nor does it count towards your mandatory ownership. So if you only own the gun, then <laughs> you still have to buy another train. Right. But it's so cheap and it's so good. It's so good. I, I really want to play this game again with a group of people that are very non loan phobic. And we're just like maxing out loans in this game. So no one's stock value is even close to high. Because you know it's going to change right. so much, and you never want to invest in things. It's, the whole game is rushing to trains to make sure the person that's not left with when they're training get completely ruined and sent to receivership. So, and uh, Jake, how'd that last play work out for everybody? Not well, my man. Not well. Not well at all. Oh, uh, I I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I tried. I kept on trying to avoid the bank and just use all the capital to do trains, which worked out fine. And my companies went to receivership, but none of them were a worth anything or b running for that much. I did end up getting a diesel train which was cool. But then you played a token somewhere to make sure that I came in last place instead of second to last place. So, well, you were nice enough to provide us with a map on exactly where your big, long diesel train run was. And one of those was through a single token spot. Yeah, I was able to cut around it. But yeah, what it was, it was. Silly, but yeah, <laughs> the reason why is I've actually seen somebody break across at the very end in two of my three plays now. So it is truly something I think that can happen in this game. So To your point, this is multiple games now where we've seen interesting things happen at the very, very, very end of the game. And I love an 18x game that actually has an end game. Yeah. So I GMT has this game. We've both bought a copy. Um, Well, I've bought two copies. You have one of them. 
you'll have one of them coming. So I'm just really <laughs> excited to see what they do with this game because the publishing in person was very good as well. Um, they had a certain idea where all of the pars are actually on a separate area with a bunch of tokens. And so you just put the par token out next to the IPO value. And that's way easier, I think, to teach new people to say, okay, grabbing shares from here costs this, grabbing shares from here costs this. You know, it's like right there. Yep. Love this game. And uh, now that I've played it twice and I finished first and second, I think this one is uh, right up my alley. Absolutely. All right. I see you have one other game here that I've heard nothing about. (laughs) So this game is one that uh, I've enjoyed just only with my family. And honestly, I would never even think of bringing this to a Wednesday night game because it's not really the game for that. I'm referring to Harry Potter's Hogwarts Battle Monstrous Box of Monsters. Monstrous Box of Monsters is the expansion follow-up to the Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Hogwarts Battle really is a deck-building game. It's a deck-building game that uh, has been out for four or five years, and it's a game that we picked up kind of early in our family gaming career, and we worked through the whole thing and have lots of great memories as a family working through that one, especially as my kids were younger and trying to learn about it. Well, one of the things it does is basically every single episode builds on the one before it. It adds additional cards, it adds more monsters, it adds more stuff. And the stack of stuff you have to do to win gets taller every round and it never gets shorter. So kind of by nature, what happens is every round gets harder. Okay. That carried over to the monstrous box of monsters, which isn't a replacement for the original game. It just basically keeps on going from where you left off on that one. And as a result, holy smokes, it's difficult to win. We played the first box in monstrous box of monsters four times before we finally beat it. And wow. It was uh, it was ridiculously hard to beat for somebody that's played a lot of deck builders. Wow, that's great. Did it feel weird? Did you like think of looking back at the first thing and being like, how is that even hard? Oh, the, the first game is the first couple of games are so ridiculously. I mean, they're easy and basic to the point of non-interesting. Uh. And, <laughs> and and I look back and laugh at those now. But as it turns out with uh, trying to beat box one in the monsters box of monsters, card drawing's good in deck builders, as it turns out. Who would have thought? I know drawing is always universally good. Yeah, that's how we finally beat it is we all just tripled down on buying all the cards that allowed us to draw extra cards just to flood the game with extra abilities. And that finally did it. Now, this game has got so many faults to it. I don't even I, I, I don't know if I can recommend it or not. Like we love it because we love the IP and we have fun with it as a family as a pure game. It's a it's a. It's a swing and a miss, maybe. (laughs) But if you love the theme, you still might love the game. One of the biggest problems with it is it's insanely swingy and it's insanely random as far as how the difficulty was, because it's a random setup. And depending on what the setup is, it's not even kind of balanced, right? There are some setups where you're going to lose and there's nothing you can do about it. You can spend the two hours playing it or you can just fold and redeal because you're not going to win. And the second thing is is that there are also some setups that are so insanely easy. You're just going, well, this is going to be a little mechanical. So you kind of have to be able to gauge when you set the game up. Is this, you know, is this a journey we want to go on? Because there are some setups that are either going to make it too easy to win or too hard to win in exactly the same game. And, you know, experience certainly helps you suss that out. Gotcha. Yeah, this has been one of the games I've looked at a lot because my wife is a huge fan of Harry Potter. Actually, as we're recording this, she's wearing a Harry Potter sweatshirt. So... I bet you this could be something and maybe we should try it once you guys are done with it and just see if it's something she'd like or not. Yeah, maybe you should. Because like I said, this is something that thematically, if you like the Harry Potter thing and just love that world, it is pretty immersive. There's lots of thematic stuff in there. And I, 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 I don't know. We've argued about what's thematic or not. Honestly, just drawing a card that says Harry Potter on it's not thematic. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But it, it is fun just pulling out a card and just going, oh, I got Dobby's socks <laughs> and laughing about that thing. And, you know, I've got, oh, I just bought the Nimbus 2001. Gotcha. But yeah, so I, I actually think she would like this game, Jake, because it is lighter. It is a little more family weight. It is kind of a thematic experience. It is cooperative. So the two of you are working together and we've had some great experiences as a family playing this game. Yeah, Joel, I'm happy you've enjoyed it. All right. Well, that is a lot. That was actually a huge list of games for a couple of weeks of not playing in person. I know. It's amazing. As I was putting this list together, I'm like, we kind of do have a lot to well, talk we, about, we actually. We skipped Arboretum. I haven't had more. But <laughs> you know, it's a good week of gaming when you don't get around to talking about playing right. Arboretum. So with that being said, and what we played this week, why don't we dig into uh, uh, kind of the marquee conversation of the evening? Speaking of expansions with regards to Harry Potter's Monsters Box and Monsters, that's actually a great tie in, Jake, for our main topic of the evening. It's almost like we planned it. <laughs> There's a reason I put that one last so that we could tie right from talking about an expansion to talking about expansions. All right. See what I did there? You did great. So I thought it'd be a good time to talk about expansions because I think this is kind of an interesting time in the hobby because you can kind of take and get a breather. You know, we're not playing with people as much in person, you know, like the amount of just buy, buy, buy is kind of popping up. And something I think both Mark and I've noticed is we're not buying expansions as much as possible. So a lot of the podcasts, as we've said a million times, is kind of just what we're chatting about. And so we thought we'd kind of put a mic in between us when we're talking about kind of our thoughts on expansions, because we've been talking about this a lot. This came up a few times with recent episodes, like when we ranked our top 20, where how do we handle expansions in that one? You know, when we're trying to figure out what the mogul scale rating is on a game, how do expansions figure into that mix? Right. And we realized that it was just high time that we actually look expansions square in the face. And have a uh, kind of brutally honest discussion about them. Right. Let's talk about some expansions and uh, some that don't suck. So first, we put together a little list of kind of what expansions we've seen in the in, in the world of, of gaming. Just because we say that one of these categories, games expansions can be in all of these categories at once. But these are some attributes that we've seen. The first one that I think we like the most are ones that add deeper rules to it, right? So think of an expansion where... Maybe it's a lighter game and this maybe bumps it up from a, a two to a three rule wise. So um, an example of that is Orleans, correct? Yeah. And again, the Orleans expansions is, is one that fits into a lot of these categories. When I'm talking about adding more rules, I'm talking about like when you add the um, oh, additional beneficial goods board or you add in additional goal cards into it where you get certain things by filling orders at certain cities. Right. So great. A Great Western Trail Rails to the north works this. It gives you a whole new thing. You can add new rails and have a new kind of area control area up top. So I would say that my favorite kind of expansion is one that makes it wider rather than deeper, because sometimes deeper is tough to teach. Right. right? You you got to teach a game, then you got to teach more stuff. Whereas wider, a lot of times, just adds more stuff to the existing game. A lot of times, it's just adding more map. So like, uh, for example, the expansion to Metro X, same game, just more maps. Yay. Right. Most game systems probably do this right. So like Age of Steam would be one of them where it's not really that different between each map, but the gameplay is very different, but you don't have to learn that much in between the new maps, right? Yeah, and there might at most be like a little rule tweak, like, hey, on this map, you can lay two tiles instead of one. Right. You know, not something you need to reteach the game. Right. Just m maybe more or less just reference this little sheet and, and figure it out. I would say, actually, the uh, as we just talked about, the Harry Potter Hogwarts monstrous box of monsters fits into that because functionally it's the same game. It adds a couple little tweaks like it adds encounters as well as just villains. And, you, you know, to finish the game, you have to solve the encounters as well as solve the villains. 
But fundamentally, the mechanisms are exactly the same thing. You drop five cards, you play a bunch of cards, you assign damage and earn money. Same deal. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think Root's one of those as well. You know, it's each of these factions were kind of designed. They're all kind of the same, but they're they're interacting in such a different way that it's completely new experience by throwing the otters in, as we talked about in the last couple episodes. So Root's a funny one because the game is almost designed as infinite expansions. Right. Every faction kind of by nature is an expansion. So how you cluster those expansions together makes it both a toolkit, but also kind of weirdly, it's more map, right? Because you just it's the same core set of rules for the game. But then every single faction does their own thing differently. That's a funny one to try to categorize. Gotcha. Another category of expansions is toolkits. Usually these ones are the ones that are like on the back. It says includes eight modules. These are ones that add different plug and play modules into the game. And (laughs) I guess I'm leading into this, but this is kind of my least favorite aspect of these where they're just like eight different things and you can like choose which ones you want to play with or not. But like both the role for the Galaxy expansions have done this. I think it's the main reason I haven't bought the new one, the the rivalry or whatever the expensive one is, because I don't know if I want to deal with three new ways to play the game and whether or not they can play together. Um, Eclipse is an example of this where... They just threw in how many modules do you think are in the first expansion mark? Like 12. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of things. On, <laughs> do you want to uh, do you want to play with the different central hub thing? Do you want to play with the like the, the I, I even forget. It's been a while since I played them, but there's just man, it's so much. It's different too stuff. much. And then the thing that bothers me the most about this and we'll, we'll talk about this more. But what are you supposed to do? You know, <laughs> like I know. Yeah, that's for sure the problem with these. These are for people that really like to explore how the game works and really know it and want to throw new things in, which I don't think these, that, that, that is us. Um, you have Orleans Trade and Intrigue on here as well. I do, because, again, that one sort of fits into a bunch of categories. And one of the things Trade and Intrigue includes is some modules that you can optionally include. And I've certainly figured out my set of things that I think are good to include and ones that I don't generally try to include, like. The new Beneficial Deeds board is a mandatory. I like the new event stack. I think that adds an interesting spice to the game. However, I usually leave out like there's there's some goal cards that you can fill orders at certain towns. I leave those out. That doesn't seem necessary. Is this your least favorite kind of expansion as well? Or is it just me that's, well, that's kind of yeah. taken from this tall, this tall anger? No, I think I would agree with you there, too, for the same reason that you brought up. Like, I don't know where to start. Like, how should I play? What should I play with this? I have these nine things I can add in. I I think the answer to approach expansions like this is to pick one, play the game like you normally play it and add in one thing. Right. But then then you have to do it nine times to figure out how you want to do it. And then on top of that, you have to, like, figure out how many of them would work together. I just don't play games for that. That's not fun for me. Um, so I, we're going to we're going to allude to this later. So let's, let's move on because we'll we'll hit it. We'll hit it more holistically in just a moment. Another sure. expansion type is ones with more players. These are one of my favorites. These are usually always auto buys for me if there's ever any expansion that includes an extra player, because a lot of Euro games top out at four. And we have <laughs> complained a lot about not being able to play games at five. So I bought the Lorenzo Will Magnifico expansion, which the main thing I've done with it is just use the additional fifth player because maybe somebody wants to be pink or maybe want to play this game at five and it plays great at five. So big fan. I auto bought fields of RLT and trade for exactly the same reason. And to be honest with you, I don't ever play with the T and trade part. I just play with the third player. There it is. Yeah. (laughs) Because fields of RL is a two player only game and it's such a great game. That's kind of limited by the fact you can only play it with two players. So 
having the ability to play three is huge. And same for Orleans. I bought the fifth player expansion almost instantly because Orleans is a great game and being able to fit it into a five player game night sometime has has been good. And we've certainly played it that way before. Gotcha. Our final one we have here is the game patches slash fixes. Why don't you explain a little bit about this one, Mark? I don't know that any of these were necessarily released for this reason. The reason we're including these are these are expansions that fix a perceived hole in the game or a perceived weakness in the game or somehow shore it up and make what was a good game into a great game. I I like this a lot. And this is, again, something that I will look very seriously at buying, because if I really like the original game and have realized that maybe there's a shortcoming or two, but just with this fix, now it becomes an awesome game, then I'm all in. And I think the poster child for this is A Feast for Odin Norwegians. Yeah, you wouldn't even know that's an expansion because, I mean, I would imagine there's a lot of patch fixes, expansions that are also modules. But in the Norwegians, I didn't even notice there was an expansion. in it. It just made the game better. Right. It absolutely opens up more strategies. It adds new things. So you still have to do the, hey, I'm going to teach you A Feast for Odin. And, and oh, by the way, here's the things that are changed for the Norwegians. But it doesn't flip the apple cart on how to do it. It's it's literally just you have to add in, well, there's a fifth column now that does this. And now there's this other type of, uh, the, there's more animals that you can do and they work a little different. But it's still fundamentally the same game, now with more options, which is great. Right. I would also put the Expanse doors and corners into this category too, because like we love the Expanse, which is kind of a multiplayer variant of Twilight Struggle. The challenge is, I know you walked away from that going, you know, in the base property, protomolecules are a really big thing, and it's barely referenced in the game. Well, yeah, it's a special power that's like a little twiddly, oh, remove everything from one spot. Like, who cares? You know, it's not it's not strong enough for the protogen core yeah. faction. And now they've, uh, in doors and corners, fattened that thing up, so it's a little more of an existential threat. And that's uh, so much more thematic into the game that I can't see playing it without that in the future. Yeah, no, that, that's completely thing. And just quick little side note. We're not going to talk about system games here anymore from this point on. So like HSDM, 18XX, and I'll put it Concordia here. We're not going to cover these expansions anymore. That's probably a bigger conversation for a future episode. Yeah, I think you can 100% assume that at some point in the near future, we're probably going to do an episode just on system games. All right. So with that little thing, why don't we talk about some of the negative uh, emotions we have about these expansions? I briefly hit on it with the, the modules section. This can kind of be summarized as... Does the game need more? I've bought some expansions for these games where I really like the property. I like the base game and I'll buy the expansion. And then I get put into a point where it's just too much work to like understand or piece out what's going on. So let's take Race for the Galaxy, for example. One of my favorite games. I played on the app all the time. I played it a bunch while I was up up north. I bought all the expansions of that game because I like it. I should buy the expansions, right? And then it gets to this weird convoluted point where I don't know which cards are for what expansions. I haven't been able to get my head wrapped around the four different rule books to figure out which expansions I'm even supposed to include and what rules and all these different modules where it makes me end up shelving the game and not want to interact with it anymore. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. I have, in my experience too, bought a number of expansions that have never gotten played. I have a, I have this whole... A uh, wish list of expansion things that I've just I've looked at and I've never played the base game enough where I've been dying to go out and pl- add more to it. And so I, I've realized over time that I really have to go into expansion purchasing much more thoughtfully than I do with regular games, because there's an excellent chance that that thing's never going to get played at all. So unless it's a game that I've played a lot and have kind of played out 
or unless it's a game that kind of needs to be fixed, I, it's probably a pass for me because I, right. I agree with you. If there's too many options, it's too hard to play because coming from somebody that teaches games a lot of the times, expansions are a real problem when it comes to game teaching. Right. Because it's a whole new thing. Right. You have to basically teach twice then. You teach the base game. Okay, here's how you play the base game. Now I'm going to teach you, forget some of those things I told you. Now I'm going to teach you the expansion changes to that. And it turns a 30-minute rule teach into a 60-minute rule teach or a 45-minute rule teach. And it's it's not worth it. Right. I'd rather just play the base well, game. And especially what's that expansion adding? I found very few games that really make it that much deeper with the expansion without fixing something. It just adds more. And it's like, do I really need more in this game? Like it, it's it's making it a bloated thing and making all of the design choices kind of confusing, right? Because some expansions even come with stickers to refix certain aspects of the game. And it's like, now I'm just patching literally my games. Well, yeah. And how do you come back from that too? Hey, I just stickered it to change for the expansion thing. And right. <laughs> I want to play the base right. game. You're again. only playing it this way from now on. So I, I, I guess this is also kind of a... a uh, uh, like leads into another issue that I have. What do you think about those included variants in base games? Um, honestly, it depends on the game. And and what, what I want to explain it for the listeners too. So like, let's take a game like Anachrony. It's this big Kickstarter game that comes with three different, I think, expansions in the base game. What do you do with those? Right. Well, I know what I would do with them. I would leave them in the box and never play them. See, that's what I do, too. It just seems to be more for more's sake and very rarely seems to actually help them. And this has actually came up in a negative way because I have never used the factions in Dragon Castle, which is a super light game. But I loaned it to you once to play and you played with the factions and you loved it. So I don't know if I'm getting the wrong experience, if you're getting the wrong experience. It's just this is just like a lacking of the of the board game world. You know, I think that might be a marketing and perception thing in terms of Dragon Castle, because like, right. I looked at the book and if 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 it ever says like, here's the base game, you know, here's the basic game. Right. Like I skip over that right away. I'm like, I'm smart enough. We're just going to go right for the advanced game and call it a day. And for whatever reason, when I read the Dragon Castle book, the the faction cards in there, I just read that. Well, that's how you actually play the game. Right. And see, I, I leave them out for the basic game. See, so I read it as the other thing. But let's use a different game. For example, I've played Gentus, Gents, Gent, Gent, Lentus a whole bunch of times. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I think it was one of my most played Euro games of last year. I have still yet to play with the included mini expansion just because I, what do I need it? I mean, I like the base game. There's it. I I don't know if it's uh, more for more sake here, you know? And I think we could also go off and uh, down a rabbit hole into games where you've got two versions of the same game inside the box, which is a special brand of confusion. Like I'm looking at Vinos, for example, like Vinos, the uh, big Eagle Griffin game release of it has both Vinyos 2010 and Vinyos 2016 inside it. Which one do I learn and play, Jake? I don't know. It's just it's just completely. Uh, I, I don't know. This is this. I didn't think this topic would be as emotional for me as it has been, but uh, <laughs> I, I it's just really frustrating because there's enough in this hobby of trying to learn these games and kind of figuring things out and all this different stuff. Do we really need to just add more for more sake in a lot of different ways? And I think one of the ways that I think the hobby is just really doing it is just they're trying to keep on milking a cow, right? So they know people like Orleans and so we'll just keep on printing. Well, it's not a good example. We know people like Race to the Galaxy. Let's keep on printing expansions where people keep on buying it. Oh, let's call a spade a spade here, Jake. Terraforming Mars. There you go. Exactly. There's so much in that game that already is a game that can drag. You know, do we need to add more? I know there's one that makes it faster, and I've heard that that one's great. I don't know if I've interacted with not. It's not my copy I've ever played. It's 
Kirk's copy. Though. Yeah, I would file that into necessary fixes expansion. Right. But it's just it's like, do you really need a political module for a game about terraforming Mars? You know, it's already enough. Let's just maybe put our effort into more games. And maybe this is more evidence to how we interact with games. We meaning Mark and I rarely play the same game with the same group of people week by week by week. Like we might play the same game over and over and over again, but there's usually always a new player at that table, you know? Yeah. So we find ourselves really liking system games because everybody knows how to play Age of Steam. We just pull it into Age of Steam map, explain the difference, right? In that pile, I would also call out Scythe. Like, God, there's a lot of Scythe out there right now. Does anybody play with all that stuff? Well, I think there's a lot of people that maybe just have less games than us, maybe 20 of them, and they really want to deep dive in each one of their games and power to them for that if they found me are certainly not that. I think you hit the nail on a very important point there. I think that ultimately you need to become clear to yourself. Are you somebody that plays a few games deep or lots of games shallow? Like, do you play 200 games over the course of the year one or two times? Or do you play one or two games 200 times? If you're in that camp where you play a small number of games lots of times, then my friend, expansions are your best friend, I think. Or maybe not. Maybe you keep playing it that same way because you really want to master it and love it just that way. Maybe that's the case. Right. If you're somebody that only plays a game a couple times a year, Yeah, I think you really need to be careful in judging whether you need an expansion or not and only pick the expansions that solve a identified need. Like I need more content in that game or I need to fix something that's broken. Right. Well, and that's the frustrating thing, because I would even say the opposite point of that is as well. I love Race for the Galaxy. I regret buying the expansions because I just want to play base Race for the Galaxy. That has enough game for me. Right. Yeah, well, and I would say the same for Roll for the Galaxy, right? I've got the thing with the orange dice, and I couldn't tell you what those orange oh, dice do. I actually love that expansion. You just ignore everything except for the orange dice and the black dice and the new stuff. It's super <laughs> easy. I can explain that for you. But yeah, so one thing I think we should also hit before we talk about some of the, the, the stuff we really like. Why do publishers think it's okay to keep on releasing individual rule books and not make them canonical? Oh, it's so frustrating. Uh, if this Delta, Delta rule books, Jake, Del, yeah, get it, get every single thing. <laughs> it's just uh, get all of these rules together. And maybe it's, I don't understand publishing and they don't want to waste their money on something, but if there's a whole bunch of expansions planned, maybe don't do it. But if you just have one expansion include, and you have no plans to do anymore, include the entire rules for that one expansion. Rewrite the rules book as if that was how you now play the game so that I can teach out of that rule book with the expansion. Right. And it's it's just frustrating because it's it, it makes me not want to interact with stuff that I've already bought for exactly those reasons. Like a huge offender of this is the grizzled. And I think the expansion is good in that game, but there's so mm-hmm. many edge cases on how they interact. You don't know if you're playing the game right or not. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, where this really gets nasty is all these module expansions where it's. <sighs> the you know I'm going to teach the whole game and then oh by the way I'm going to add in this thing that does this and oh I'm also going to add in this thing that does that but that changes that other thing that I already taught you ignore that it, it just becomes such a teaching nightmare unless people really know the game already and you only need to teach them the new things for the expansion it's such a challenge to teach that I'm just not going right. to bother right one thing that I love in the expansion world and we'll, we'll finish this off with a nice nice note before we talk about the ones that we really like I love when there's extra cards or locations or decks. So like Agricola, they have a whole bunch of different decks, right? That's a great addition to just get some more content, get some variety in the game without really needing to teach anything. It's just a new deck, right? Yeah, that's fundamentally more maps, air quotes. You know, it's right. just the same game. It's just, you know, you have a wider pool of stuff to draw through, which makes the game 
a more variable experience without actually changing a single rule in the game. Right. And then that's also a thing in Islebound, right? They just gave you more cards that you can build from that you actually just include it for the Metropolis expansion. It's not anything else. It's just, yeah, you wouldn't even need to explain it's an expansion. Yeah, there's one tiny little tweak. You basically just need to say that, like, that bottom row, I think there's some limitations on how many of those you can buy or something like that. Right. Of the new buildings. But aside from that, it's just seamless experience to expand on the game. And that they have something like that in La Havre as well. Oh, God, I, I, I need to stop reading things. I speak French pretty okay. La Havre. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Uh, depending on what version of La Havre you have, you either have like 30 deluxe buildings or you've got like 100 of them. And I've got like the like the 100 version of the game. And every game you're going to pull out six of them. You shuffle it up and just put out six that you can possibly pull out. And that's great because every time you play it, like some building comes up, you're like, oh, I've never heard of that thing before. That seems OP. I got to get that. <laughs> right. And and that really adds some variability to what's a uh, pretty well understood, uh, you know, pretty mechanical game. And all of a sudden there's this building that comes out that just breaks something and you've never seen this thing before. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. Check that out. Right. And even if it's too interesting, you can just redraw <laughs> if you're setting up right. the game. You know? Yeah. And, and there's certainly a few of those uh, that seem a little too far outside of what you want to do and then pick a different one. Gotcha. So why don't we talk about some of the expansions we really like and just kind of hit why we like them? Why don't you hit us up first, Mark? Sure. We've got a list laid out here and like usual, I'm not even going to try to follow this list in any sort of order. I'm going to I'm going to ping pong at what I feel like talking about that exact moment. And the one I'm going to start out with being that we just brought up Islebound is I'm going to bring up near and far the Amber Mines expansion. This to me is a mandatory don't play near and far without it. Got to have it, Jake. And I think you're a you've got a personality flaw for never having played this one because this is an expansion, which is both a module expansion and a fixes severe deficiencies in the base game expansion. Yeah, I I, I need to try this one. I like near and far, but for some weird reason, yeah, the table and I have a beautiful insert that you printed for me and uh, I have the expansion. I just need to get it back out. One of the big shortcomings of the base game is that there's. I don't know if it's a game as much as an as an experience, because there are some parts of the game that like the mines, you can just rush the mines and get a bunch of points and end the game and probably win. Well, that's not really the point of the game. Right. Likewise, there's a couple of locations in town which are just awfully vanilla. And like when you fight bandits out on the map, it's just a stack of, hey, each one's stronger than the one before it. They're not that exciting. Whereas near and far adds modules, which replaces some of those vanilla or kind of broken, boring things and makes them both interesting and more balanced and really doesn't fundamentally change the game. So that is a expansion that I will not play without. And to me, it makes it an even better experience in one of my favorite games. Gotcha. Yeah, I need to try it. Speaking of the the, the things that we really like, um, one of my favorite expansions in the whole world is the Race for the Galaxy Ambition game. Gives you two new dice and a couple of stickers, which is a little janky. I don't like that. I wish they just reprinted out the screens and a handful of new tiles. There's some, if you have something, you can get some special ability ones. I don't play with that part of it. I can't even name what it does, but I don't include it. And I won't play the Race with the Galaxy game without it. I just think it's a perfect combination. So I love when an expansion has just a little bit more of stuff to give you some variety and some new dice, but nothing crazy, nothing crazy. I rarely play with that one just based on the fact that like for some reason that's an abnormally hard game to teach. Yeah, oh, it's so <laughs> for, hard. But see, a game that's not that difficult, right? I I basically am out of gas by the time I've actually taught the base game. And then the, you know, adding those additional dice in there, I kind of go, eh, 
I think we're good. Let's just play the base game. See, I just include it. I include it. I, I, I've, I don't even teach the base game and then teach the expansion. I just teach the game. And for me, the game of Race yeah. for the Galaxy includes yeah. the extra dice and the extra tiles. Because there's a handful of new strategies, not new strategies, but they kind of patch a handful of strategies in there. So I like Race for the Galaxy Ambition. I think that's probably the right approach. Uh, another one of my absolute favorite expansions. We talked about it earlier in the night which I think is becoming the mandatory pile for me is a feast for Odin Norwegians. I love a feast for Odin. It was one of my most played heavy games in 2018 and I've probably played it 15, 18 times, something like that, which is a pretty good accomplishment for me for a giant game. And I've realized that a lot of the games kind of got samey samey, right? You had to go raiding or you had to go whaling. And if you weren't doing one of those two things, you probably weren't going to win. And Everybody at the end rushed to try to emigrate and get rid of your ships and so forth. And they all kind of fell down into the same path of samey samey. And the Norwegians bust that up, adds a lot of new options in there, freshens the game up again. And this is something that I just I can't see playing a Feast for Odin without the Norwegians expansion again. There's a little bit extra teach on top of that, but I, I think it's a mandatory addition. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree. I, I've not played as much a Feast for Odin as you, but I didn't even notice that it was an expansion. It just seemed to be a more refined version of the game, which I thought was really fun. Another expansion that I find amazing is the Great Western Trails Rails to the North expansion. I didn't even know there were people out there that didn't think it was amazing. It seems like, at least from what I've seen, the consensus was that it was good, but talked online with some great friends this week and they didn't like it. So personally, I find it great. I don't know if my opinion on Great Western Trails should really be taken uh, into effect because of how absolute trash I am at it. But I really like the Rails in the North expansion. Any any game that has Minneapolis in it will make me happy. So, <laughs> Yeah, this is some one that um, I, I do want to try. I, I still think I want to spend a little more time mastering the base game because I'm so damn bad at it that I haven't figured out how to do well. Once I feel like I've gotten a little better at the base game, I think that's one I'll add to the pile. Gotcha. Also in the category of takes a great game, makes it greater, replaces something that maybe was needlessly vanilla is Orleans Trade and Intrigue. Again, that's an expansion that is just the game to me now. Orleans is one of my favorite games of all time, but the Beneficial Deeds board, which is really the culling mechanism for the game, was awfully vanilla, right? You just put stuff out there, and if you completed it, you got an extra citizen. Yawn. What Trade and Intrigue added was a better board that allowed you to trade in not only uh, workers that you could cull out of there, but you could also put in goods in there and get rewards for that as well instead of taking the victory points. It also made the rewards more diverse that you could get, and it just made for a more interesting endgame in, in Orleans. I also love the additional new events that it added to the game, which, again, the original ones are fine, maybe a bit on the vanilla side. It spices it up a little bit without functionally changing the game. Orleans trade and intrigue to me is something that is mandatory if you love the game of Orleans. Yeah, no, I, I I haven't played Orleans enough to know, but you you speak very well on it, and I trust you as the haver of the right opinion for Orleans. Um, another one that I think we both will agree is a great expansion is the Metro X More Maps. And what's great is even today somebody finally did what I thought would happen to this game, and they did a, a different city outside of Japan. I saw someone on BGG post a <laughs> London map, which is so cool. So there was a new expansion for Jake. Go ahead. I am holding a nice laminated copy of that London map in my grubby little mitts at this moment. I have already printed it. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the original expansion came with Sendai, Hakata, and Nagoya as new new expansion places in each one of them. They don't change anything. It's just a new map to play on. I love that. Love that. That's my favorite kind of expansion for these games. Yeah, because there's really no rules to teach uh, when you play those games outside of just, you know, hey, here's a new map. And e every map has been able to change the game just because of how the routing works in that particular map. Gotcha. 
So one module game that has actually found a lot of traction inside our group, probably because we've actually played this game a lot, is the Raiders of the North Sea expansions, both Fields of Fame and Hall of Heroes. Fields of Fame adds additional things you get out in the field. There are Jarls that you can fight when you try to take over a location. Hall of Heroes allows you to get Mead, which allows you to pump up a little bit on a more temporary basis. And there's some additional rewards that you can get when you're inside the Hall of Heroes. And because of the fact that those are both pretty seamless additions to the base game that just, you know, the original Raiders of the North Sea is a great game, maybe a little on the simple side. This adds a little more depth to it without fundamentally changing the base games and gives you a few more uh, variable routes to victory, shall we call it, to win. Yeah, and it gives you a couple more resources. I think the other reason why we like this one so much is Raiders for the North Sea is probably on the lower end of our Overton window of uh, gaming for our game group, and adding the expansion to it does not push it outside of that window, which actually probably centers it a little bit more in that window. So I agree, it's a great one. I don't actually like the Hall of Heroes expansion as much as the Field of Fame. Whatever one's the one that goes on the bottom with the mead, I like. I don't like the one. Uh, you said it backwards, Jarls. my friend. Oh, did I? Okay. Hall of Heroes, yes. Fields of Fame is the one with the Jarls. Hall of Heroes is the one with the mead that goes on the yeah, bottom. Yeah, I don't like the Jarls one. It's fine. I'll, I'll include it. I won't ever push back on somebody not wanting to include it, but I, I don't prefer to play it that way. I prefer the Hall of Heroes way. But yes, it is it is a great expansion. And they, uh, they came with like a big box to put it all in one spot, so. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, if only you could get that now. I have both the expansions and the tiny box, and it's uh, swelled, shall we say. One expansion that I think we have not really played with much, we actually tried to set it up and put it away, but we like the idea of it, is the expansions to Leaving Earth. It adds, you can go to like Saturn now and stuff, and so you have to like time out when you can actually go, depending on where the planets are, alignment to each other, which is really cool, for expansions for Leaving Earth, which is awesome. I've yet to play with it, but I love that it exists, and I know that I can keep on plumbing the original game and when i think i've had enough of that i can move on to the big the big boy outer planets expansion yeah and i think as you know leaving earth for as fantastic of a game as it is the base game is maybe a little small right i mean there's not that many goals that you can get and oh hey we're trying to get a man in space again whereas boy you add the outer planets to it and suddenly the difficulty level of trying to time out and get people out to saturn jupiter and stuff like that becomes insanely harder because there's only certain years where like the right window is there that you can actually even get people to those planets. And that ups the difficulty level a lot. Right. And funny enough, Jake, I don't know if you remember this. We have played that one. The very first time we tried playing, we went, oh, let's put the outer planets out there also. And we, it was it was way too much for both of oh, us. Oh, gosh, yeah. And I think we ended up not interacting with the outer planets in any meaningful no, way. No, we didn't even try. It was way right. too hard. Right, 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 right. But we looked at it. That was cool. We got to set up the board the right way. Yep. The one we haven't had a chance to try yet, which again, I, I like a ton in concept and we just haven't had a chance to try it is the stations expansion the hey let's do more interesting stuff at the moon rather than just go to the moon gotcha. and i love that idea and i'm looking forward to having a chance to try it agreed but again i would say that doesn't fundamentally change the base game it just adds more stuff to do speaking with expansions i largely like but don't necessarily love imperial settlers there's been a whole bunch of new factions released for this game and different kind of add-on decks which i think are cool the one issue is you're supposed to actually build your deck with your opponents before you start playing. There's certain rules with like how many of the 3X cards you can have, how many of the 1X cards, and how many of the 2X cards you can have. The issue is I've never actually done that with people. Usually I'm playing the game with newbies, and they're not interested in doing that. But I think that'd be really fun for me and you, Mark, to uh, interact with the game and actually build your deck the right way you're supposed to. There's a way that for each one of the expansions, you can take out XYZ cards and add XYZ cards again in, which is what I usually do. But I think it'd be fun to actually build some decks, Mark. 
That's an idea I love in concept. The challenge is, is I have not played Imperial Settlers enough where I think that I need to do that yet, nor do I kind of have the base understanding to be able to do it effectively. And curious if I'll play it enough to get to that point. Like, this is actually my daughter's favorite game right now, and she's been <laughs> requesting that we play it this weekend. So I wouldn't be shocked if I ended up playing Imperial Settlers at some point this weekend, but I'm wondering if I will play it enough where I'll feel the need where I got a deck build. Yeah, gotcha. And then finally, I, my favorite expansion is a game that really was made to be an expansion. Like the, the, the base game of this was an expansion. I'm talking about Root. And what expansion do I like the most? All of them, because more factions, right? I think one of the beautiful parts of that game is exploring all the weird combinations of what the each faction can do uniquely and how they fit together and how they interact with each other differently. And now there's enough factions that I don't know that you could ever play this game out. Or I think you could still have that journey of surprise and have unique gameplay experiences, no matter how many times you actually play this thing. And I'm looking forward to an opportunity, Jake, to be able to expose you to some of the factions outside of the base box. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I I, I could not agree more. I, I'm really excited. Yeah, I, I especially think you'll find like the River Folk, which is a pure financial engine thing. I think you'll find that really especially interesting. So I think I'm going to put that one in front of you next time we play and go, Jake, you're playing this one because you'll like it. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Anyway, that is a look back on some of our favorite expansions. Now, I think, Jake, what we need to have is we need to have some of these companies that produce game bling get on making bling parts for some expansions because we didn't talk about it, but one of my least favorite things is having non-blinged expansions when I have a blinged game. Right. What do you do with that? (laughs) Right. So here's all the resources. You can tell the ones I really love. And then here's the cardboard shits for wood. That is the expansion. So... (laughs) precisely well everybody that is our viewpoint on some expansions that don't suck in our world and uh, really just encourage you to be thoughtful when you look at an expansion is this a game you really need more out of or are you just buying it because you like the property all right so this has been the gaming moguls i'm jake your mark thanks for listening everybody yeah thanks for listening again good night everybody this has been the gaming moguls podcast co-hosted by mark teske and jake klopfenstein Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at GamingMoguls. Or reach us via email, jake at GamingMoguls.com or mark at GamingMoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.